Welcome to the B-Side Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Frank, and this week we will not have a guest, and that's mostly because I ordered a new soundbar, some new mics, that way I can have a co-host and we don't have to share the mic, because that would just be weird, and it actually didn't come in in time, so I'm going to go ahead and do this one solo. Next week on the podcast, we will have a guest. Not sure who it is. Um, I got some stuff going on this week. One of the things, I actually went pick up alligator tags today. Um, I know I mentioned it on the last one. I actually have them now. Uh, all the rules and regulations, and I may have a surprise when it comes to that. So, I have some corrections before we start. Um, according to Josh and Chris, who I actually, when they listened to the podcast the first time, it sent me back some feedback. This is what I got back. So for about 30 minutes, I got constant feedback, so I knew they were actually listening to the last podcast. And basically, Josh told me he knows I'm lying about the city. And my response to that was, you know, if the crime rate went down, I love the culture of the city. I don't like going to the city because of the crime. Also, when I had made the comment about me being decent with bait casters now Josh and Chris both have said that it's not much better um, so if y'all on TikTok there's the sound of we're going to play a little whack F um, I'm trying to say F because we're trying to keep this a friendly podcast you know G rated but anyway so there's the whack and he said I could literally make that perfect TikTok with me casting my reel. Can't believe it. Uh, so Chris had asked if people can call or send comments into the podcast. I believe I have voice messaging turned on to where y'all can directly click on the link through us, send us a voice message. If that doesn't work, y'all feel free to find us on social media. And Instagram is at B underscore side outdoors. And Facebook is at Louisiana Outdoor Experience. We definitely want to hear from y'all. Hear what y'all want to hear. Um, so when Chris comes on, he wants to talk about controversial topics. Like such as shooting a pie ball. Would you do it? So go ahead and send us a message. Or if you can send us a voice message... Let us know so when we discuss it, we can have y'all input also. So let's move on and start talking about some current events. And probably the biggest thing I seen was the California gun control law. There's a ton of controversy over that because it's billions of dollars in industry a year for California. And I believe that also it's changing how the youth can have access to information on gun control and all. But when it comes to human nature, humans are naturally curious, and if you keep a child from knowing what a gun is or anything like that, they're going to get curious and they're going to want to play with it when they finally see one. Or they don't understand the consequences of what happens when that gun goes off. So necessarily getting rid of... Necessarily getting rid of... Gun education is not a great idea. So, I mean, I just want to hear from y'all. If y'all want to comment on it, let me know. 
And you know, California has an actual lead shot ban, I believe, on everything. You can't even shoot a rifle with lead. It has to be an alternative metal. But a part of that is now that the National for or U.S. Fish and Wildlife, I should say, is putting their lead band in on all fishing, uh, U.S. fish and game managed properties. You have to start thinking about if the other environmental impact of that. For example, copper. Copper mines destroy, destroy the environment. Um, the, if you ever haven't heard of the pebble mine, that's a fight that's been going on for years. And that's what it's going to be is a copper mine. So if lead is terrible, which don't get me wrong, I'm not saying go eat a pound of lead or that I'm going to eat a pound of lead. But if lead's the issue, copper's not a better solution. And what a lot of people don't realize is that most of the lead in bullets is actually recycled. So they'll go ahead and take old batteries and recycle them. Or even if you go to a shooting range and put a ton of lead down range, eventually that lead, not red, lead, that lead will get recycled back into new bullets. So is lead bands the way to go? Granted, I don't like the fact that you can get secondary lead poisoning and not from the hunter's perspective. It's other animals and I understand that. And waterfowl hunting has an acceptable substitution for lead with steel shot and and even some of the alternative metals um but like with copper like i said copper is not might not be the best thing if you're really concerned about the environment there so let's switch over from the national scale to local and when i say local i mean like five minutes down the road from me um, a video has surfaced of a bobcat walking down the road with her kitten in tow. And everybody's freaking out. And they're like, oh my god, look how huge it is. Look at this. Which, that's almost that people... The same people a lot of times that are like, oh, this cat needs to go. Is also the same people that are like, oh, don't hunt this poor bobcat. Or don't shoot this poor bobcat because it wants to live or whatever but i don't want it living here and you know that's where the problem with human and animal conflict comes in you can't have your cake and eat it too when it comes to a situation like that um you can either keep the bobcat around hopefully it doesn't get any of your pets or if nowadays they got chickens everywhere hopefully don't get into a chicken coop and kill a ton of chickens but the other option you have is to either get somebody to come in and trap it or hunt it and remove it from the area. Um, live removing of these this cat is probably not an option because you would have to get both the mama and the kitten. And I don't know if that's going to happen with trapping and or hunting. Um, you might get it hunting. You might even get it trapping. Maybe the kitten's young enough that... It'll stick around after the mama's trapped, but still, there's no guarantee that you're going to do... You might cause more harm than good trying to get rid of that cat, but... And that brings me to another point about trapping. I came up with a theory in the last probably three, four years that turkeys 
population is on a decline. And if you look at it, it kind of started coinciding, I believe, with the lack of trappers. I need to do some more data research on it. But a lot of people don't realize if you go ahead and trap, you can actually reduce the number of predators on your turkeys or deer for that matter. And it's much more efficient than trying to hunt them. Um, I saw a study somewhere that, and the study pretty much said that you have a 10 times greater chance of trapping an animal or catching 10 times more the amount of animals trapping than you ever would hunting them. And part of that is because a trap is set 24-7, 365 days a year, whether it's hot, cold, um, raining, they're all always trapping. And back in 1997, the United States of America, I believe the European Union, Canada, Russia, um, and a bunch of these areas came together and formed basically a set of guidelines and what they look at with these guidelines is actually the animal welfare the efficiency of the trap the selectivity of the trap the practicality of the trap and the safety of the trap and when they talk about animal welfare actually 70 percent of the total animals trapped can have no injury to them for the trap to be approved so when it comes to efficiency of the trap, um, the trap should be around 60% efficient. So what they do is they'll take the number of primary animals captured, so let's say in coons in that case, and then they'll take the activations of the trap and divide them in half, and that gives you the percentage of how many animals that should be trapped in it. And then moving on to selectivity, um, a lot of people don't realize you can actually set traps to pretty much get that target animal to come into it. Um, so like coons, they make what they call dog-proof traps, and there's no way for a dog to get hooked in it. I mean, maybe. But the way it's set is that the trigger has to be pulled up on it, and it just cuffs around the wrist. And I've released several animals from the dog-proof traps, and they walked off like nothing was wrong. So that shows there that at least it's selective about the animals that you're trying to capture and that the animal welfare is high because there's no injuries to them. And then when it comes to practicality, um, they look at the cost of the purchase and maintenance of it, the replacement of parts, ease in setting and resetting, ease of transport and storage, Weight and dimensions, reliability, versatility, expected usable lifespan, and need for specialized training to use. Um, so, like for example, in a regular trap line, you don't want a trap that weighs 10 pounds. And the reason you don't want the traps that heavy is because sometimes, like with me, there's times I walk a quarter mile, half a mile in with my trapping gear. And if I had a 10-pound trap, I might be able to carry one or two of them that far in because not only do you have the traps with you, but you have all of the equipment to set it. And then, of course, they look at the safety towards the user of the trap. You know, you don't want something that's going to obviously severely hurt an animal because at that point, if you're selling it for fur or even there's some markets where they want the animals alive – that animal is now worthless. Or 
if it's not worthless, you definitely downgraded the value of that animal. And, you know, you're probably saying, well, who evaluates all these traps and all? It's actually veterinarians, trappers, um, so and biologists. So it's not just a biased opinion here. You have professionals that are evaluating this to see and make sure that it is for all around and meet these goals. If y'all want me to go way into details with this, I can. Um, if y'all want me to do another podcast, let me know. But if you want to learn more on your own, actually you can look up what they call BPMs, which is Best Management Practices. And they have one for the United States that's through the Association of the Fish and Game Agencies. Also, Louisiana, I know, has their own set of BPMs. And I believe most states actually will release their own. And the reason is, is what I call a big coon here is a small coon in Illinois, Missouri. So animal sizes will vary throughout the United States. And there's a thing that they talk about with animal sizes is the further north you go in their range, the bigger the animal is or bulkier the animal is. And that is actually to survive the winter's. Like, our animals don't have to put on a ton of fat because they may only have to survive three months with low food. And I'm saying low food, not no food. They might have to survive three months with lack of food. And then we get spring in, or it starts getting warm, and let's say February, things start growing again. By March, you have green everywhere for the most part. And then we don't really start getting die-offs until end of November, mid-December sometimes. So, And speaking on how the rest of the country is totally different, uh, as you move around the country, you'll notice like deer habits and all are different. And, you know, I always love hearing the one week in November. Yeah, well, that works great up north, but... South Louisiana, you might have one week in the beginning of December and one week at the end of December or beginning of January. And it's just, and then sometimes our deer will have this like two week long rut. And it's because down here, it not might not necessarily mean that our does have to drop right when the thaw, because we don't have a thaw most of the time. Um, if our does, I don't know, drop in, let's say, late June, they have, what, four or five months still? As to where up north, they might only have two if they would drop in late June. So, yeah, I just did the math, realized that it's like six to seven months that our deer will have if they drop in June. Uh, and then up north, they might only have four. So... That's all some of the things that you got to look at, and we really don't have harsh winters here, so. And then in the swamp, especially, you don't want as an animal to be very heavy, because when you walk across that mud, it's like, we call it gumbo mud, or um, Vinny refers to it as pirate poo, and it's almost, if you go watch any of the hurricane videos and you see us, like, spraying it off, or just like shoveling it's like soup like the top might be a hard crust but underneath is just nothing 
and it really is impressive to watch these animals run across that because they don't break through. They run through like there's no problem. So it's pretty impressive, the animals down here. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure you leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast network you're listening to us on. Uh, We appreciate it. Go check out our Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, YouTube if you want to support what we're doing here. And, you know, think about giving us a subscribe on here, subscribing to us on Facebook, go and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and any of these social media platforms, I should just say. Uh, And speaking of social media, you can even find us on Serviceide. It's as myself, but... I'm on there. Um, that's a great group if you're looking. The Serviceide uh, app if you like to show off your kills or want to talk just strictly deer hunting. And you don't get... Let's, so let's talk about the Serviceide app a little bit. And I know I've talked about it a little bit on the last podcast. I'm going to talk a little bit about it on this podcast. But that app, like on Facebook, if you say... Hey, I got these deer bedding in this certain area, I believe. This is the pictures of it. Yada, yada, yada. What should I do? You will get some of the worst advice from Facebook. And it's just because people want to troll. They will say the most outlandish things. And they'll be like, oh, that's not a bedding area. That's a feeding area. Set your stand right in the center of it. And all you do there is just hurt your chances of hunting. But on the service side app, you'll have guys that'll ask more questions and they might be like well what kind of vegetation's around it or what you know have you looked at it at all or stay out of it that's the big thing you know stay out of they'll give you all kind of advice because they want you to be successful so service side is all about uniting hunters so if you enjoy being in the outdoors and hunting and that type of thing definitely download the service side app um they are a great resource, I believe, for new hunters, and they will help you out every way possible. And I just want to say my favorite shirt that Serviceide has put out is the You Can't Eat the Antlers shirt, because growing up hunting, that's what a lot of them guys said. And if you actually see the deer that's mounted on my wall, you would probably think that I was a little crazy, because it's, it's a decent-sized deer. He's probably two and a half years old, but... It's the biggest deer to date that I've shot, and needless to say, I think I was only like 12 or 13 years old when I shot him, but I'm proud of that deer. Uh, tell you what, I'll go ahead and give you the story behind that, because that's actually a tale of craziness and proves how my life goes most of the time. So, it was in Natchez, Mississippi. We were in a club. It was, I don't remember, it was actually, it was January first or second i don't remember exactly but it was early january might have been end of december and it was freezing that morning like when i say freezing like you know the mornings when you go out and you just take like your jacket off when you get back to the truck and the steam just rolls out yeah it was one of them mornings so early in the morning i'm sitting in the the feeder and it's a at the end of this finger and it's just clear cut and the only trees they got 
is probably 250, 300 yards in front of me, and it's the creek bottom. So it kind of makes an L-shaped in front of me. So I'm facing one side of the L. We got a food plot to the left of it, and I see, running through the trees, I see steam. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then, 10 minutes or so later, I look over to the left side of the stand, and there's this buck that walking or hopping down the hill, and I throw up and I shoot, and I watch him. He runs straight to the tree line. When he gets to the tree line on my left, decides he's going to chase that doe, and literally, I watch him go the whole way through the woods. I couldn't get a shot on him running back off to the right. And I'm just like, man, I, I can't believe it. My uh, dad called me and he was like, or texted me or whatever it was. It might have been text at the time. He was like, did you get him? And I was like, nah, I missed him. I said, I'm going to get out in a little bit and go check. So that was about 7 o'clock in the morning. I get out, go check. A rule of thumb, we would normally get out of our stands about 9, 30, 10 o'clock. Well, 9 o'clock comes around, and or probably about 8.50-ish, I, I see this doe, and I see the steam rising off her. So she's running hard, and she makes the L, staying in the tree line, running. Well, then what do I see, you know, 65, 70 yards behind her? Here he's coming, and... What made him do what he's about to do next, I have no idea. I guess he was trying to catch up to her. He decides to cut across that L. So if you imagine an L and then go at like a 45-degree angle across it, going to the other side of the L, he decides to do that. And I shoot. And if this deer would have done anything else, I would have probably never had him. Unless maybe he just kept running the way he was, I might have still had him, but I did you know. Well, he plants his feet and turns and starts running parallel with the side of the, the where I'm the tree line that I'm facing, running parallel like 100 yards in front of it. And I'm like, okay. So he's running hard, and I'm shooting. You know, I shot six shots at this deer this morning. Five of them was at this point, and this is with a bolt-action Ruger 270. And y'all can say what y'all want about a 270, but that deer had so much adrenaline in him that he ran until I finally put it. The Actually, the shot that knocked him down was probably the worst shot I put on him. Um, so I shot him. He fell. He crumpled up, and I watched him. His head went down. I hurry up, reloaded the gun, and put put my crosshairs back on it. And I, he rose his head back up and then put it back down and never moved again after that. Well, so my dad starts walking down. My dad's like, did you get him? I was like, oh, yeah, I, I got him. He's dead, you know. And he's like, oh, all right, all right. So we go down there, and when we get down to him, my dad's like, that deer drowned itself to death. And I was like, do what? He's like, that deer drowned, joking with me because its head is in a skitter rut. So, 
We drag it to the trail so that we can get the four-wheeler down to it. Because, like I said, it's in cutover. So they have treetops everywhere. It's miserable. We drag him. We only had to drag him like 60 yards to the road that, at the end of the road. We finally get him on the back of the four-wheeler. Get him, start skinning him. Start looking where the shots were. The first shot I shot at him was a through and through of the heart. The next two shots... Well, I'm sorry. The first shot I shot at him did not even get close to him that morning. That's the first one when he was running away from me, going down the hill. And then, the so the first shot I shot when he was running at that 45 degree was through the heart. And I guess he was just trying to get away and was like, oh, I'm aborting that idea to run. The next two are, I think I had, so I had two long shots, a... Two long shots, a liver shot on him, and the last shot that knocked him down, what I said is the bad shot, was the one that blew out his front leg. And that's what actually made him stumble and fall. That deer was dead regardless if we would have, if I would have put another bullet in him or not, he would have been dead. But being the young hunter that I was, I was shooting him, and I've always been told that. You shoot until that animal falls. If you can get another shot on him, especially like that, shoot. Because you don't always know where you hit. Sometimes you do. I know guys that have shot and been like, oh, I know I'll put a good hit on him. I saw the blood coming out of the side of him. And then I've been with the opposite spectrum of people where you walk up in the food plot and they got the smallest deer you've ever seen. It looks like a rabbit sitting there. And you're like, oh, no, I shot the mama and I didn't see it standing behind it. And you never find the mama. So, and it's a perfect shot on the yearling. Like, it's like, how does that happen? So, deer hunting's a fun thing, and I love it, love the pursuit. Um, These days, if you notice, I don't shoot a lot of deer. And a part of that is because I don't necessarily need the meat because the group of guys I hunt with a lot of times will give me meat if I don't shoot. And... I'm the only one in my household that eats meat. My wife and daughter do not eat deer meat. They don't eat fish. They don't eat anything I hunt, come to find out. But, like I told my wife, when, if it ever comes to the situation, I have the skills to provide us with meat. Whether you become a vegetarian or not is up to you because I like wild game. I think, and it's definitely healthier, um, if you look at like Nutra, for example, is one of the healthiest meats that you can eat. And a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not going to eat that. Ah, da, da. I was like, why? Well, it says rat. Okay. Their diet's the same as a rabbit. Like, there, there's, it's nothing different, you know, than a rabbit. Just because they have a goofy-looking tail, you know, a leathery-looking tail, that doesn't mean anything. I eat beaver, too. Beaver's the largest... Uh, beaver is the largest rodent in North America. And guess what? It is tasty. Um, It's very similar to beef if you've never eaten beaver. We're sitting at like 27 and a half minutes. I'm running out of things to talk about. I don't know what y'all want to hear about. Y'all let me know what y'all want to hear about because I'll talk about it if I know about it. If I don't, I will get somebody to talk about it. Um, some of the guests that you can be looking forward to that I know will be probably within the next month or so will be 
Big Chris, a.k.a. Hambone. We'll be discussing with him whitetail hunting, duck hunting, fishing. Um, he's passionate about them things, and he is absolutely hilarious. We'll also have Vinny from Pelican Bone Outdoors, and no telling where that conversation is going to go in the outdoor world because everything that I'm passionate about, he's about as passionate about it too. And he's the guy that got me hooked on hunting Nutra and eating Nutra and all of crazy, all, trying all these crazy animals. So that definitely should be a good podcast to listen to. And we are looking to grow this audience. So I have a challenge for all of the listeners out there is just share it with one person this week and then that'll be good you know share one person or three if you want to do three it'd be really appreciative of it but like i said contact us on instagram facebook youtube anywhere you want to find us on social media we'll be there we'll reply to you we might even bring it up on the podcast I mean, that's something I might start incorporating if y'all want to hear to some of the funny comments I get from YouTube because some of them are just out there. And as we finish up this podcast, remember to thank a veteran, and I hope to catch you on the B-side of outdoors.